HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My Family Recipe is a new podcast from Food 52 and Heritage Radio Network, bringing you cherished heirloom recipes and the stories behind them. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Jordan Shank, CMO and co-founder of Sunwink, the sparkling tonic and superfood company on a mission to infuse superfoods and super herbs into consumers' everyday food and beverage routines. Sunwink is available online and in over a thousand stores, including Whole Foods Market, Air One, and many more. Jordan, I'm very excited that you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm yeah. so excited to be here. <laughs> well, we planned this a year ago. <laughs> I know. I literally was looking back at my notes. First of all, I don't know if this has happened to anyone, and I will probably get DMs about how to recover it, but I am okay, and I saw it as sort of like, I don't know, maybe a signal from the universe, but I basically lost all of my old emails like two weeks ago. Every single email ever went away. Um, and I don't know if I like put them in a, it's very likely that I did something that like hid them or did some, <laughs> or did something, you know, I'm not like technologically, um, skilled. Um, but I, so now it's kind of when I type someone's name, things don't necessarily come up, um, mm -hmm. which is really kind of crazy. And yet, Life went on and somehow I don't think that many things have fallen through. Well, I think I the would, universe I, trashed your emails for you. I think so. And, you know, now I'm just trying to like keep it clean, like keep my inbox kind of clean, you know? Yeah. It um, just made but, that giant crumple sound on your life <laughs> that when you put like. Right. No, I had like, I did have a bit of a breakdown. Um, but then I was like, you know what? Like I, if, this thing that I'm saving from God knows when, like chances are they're not that interested or I'm not <laughs> if we haven't, you know? So, yeah. Um, but the flip side of that is that I, ha I have been like very eager to talk to you. So I did kind of ruffle through and it was 13 months almost to the day <laughs> um, where I think you just basically walk me through what marketing is. <laughs> Like, and you're killing it. Well, yeah. Um, but so welcome. Um, thank you for coming on the show. And um, I, I really want to get kind of right into, you know, when I was writing the notes, I was like, I should just be like, what is marketing and how do you do it well? Um, but I think maybe we need to get a little more detailed than that. So maybe, you know, tell me a little bit about your background. I know that you were at Impossible Foods. You left to join Sunwink. Um, you did obviously an incredible job getting them off the ground. And now you are, you know, a co-founder of this, you know, category bending company. Um, so clearly you have marketing chops. 
Um, so tell me a little bit, maybe just about that, that path. Yeah, the path, not <laughs> <laughs> like, I think any path where you end up in the context of entrepreneurship is not the yellow brick road. Um, but yeah, I mean, my background prior to all of this, I think I never thought I would end up in marketing, which is what oh. most people say that huh. when they end up in marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think early on, I had thought that I would find myself more in the space of finance. I had studied you know, studied Mandarin Chinese. I was very inter- interested more in sort of the international aspects of, of where business would take me in a much more technical sense. Found out very quickly that that wasn't going to be the right fit for me just mm-hmm. by way of my love for love and curiosity of humanity and human mm-hmm. behavior. And later on in my career, ways at which you could develop and create companies that you know, uplift and change people's lives in really positive ways. But I cut most of my teeth. Most of my time was spent, you know, doing the work and advertising in New York City, where I got to work with a whole bunch of amazing brands with amazing companies like Wyden and Kennedy, um, Roken, which was later we went through an acquisition with Publicis. So had gone through a pretty sort of well-pedigreed background in that world. Um mm-hmm. And my role in that, you know, I transitioned more into the operational role, but I had always been on the strategic side. So a lot of my work was effectively cultural anthropology and figuring out how to lay out really complex positioning objectives and really complex global $100 million plus um, media spends. You know, it it was a totally different road, as you know, sort of being in the realm of, of entrepreneurship, which in any given day, you could be writing an SMS all the way through to, you know, having a conversation with an investor to doing a podcast to right. uh, cleaning I, I wanna, up the spill. <laughs> yeah, I want to go back to the cultural anthropology piece, because I think actually, you know, for those of us who are sort of curious about humans and why things resonate with us and what we're looking for and what makes us feel good, you know, all of those big questions, they do sort of overlap in a big way with with marketing. And they also overlap in a big way with entrepreneurship, right? Like if you're not in this to create something that makes people's lives better, I'm not quite sure why you are in it. Um, But you know, I think one of the things, you know, getting right into the nitty gritty is, is like the connection of that big idea, right? We, we have to have a reason for existing. We have to have a why. And I think a lot of us, you know, emerging brands have that why. We just aren't quite sure what to do with it. How do we get like the why into sort of the, the packaging and the emails and the SMS and the TikTok and the, you know, like, you know, everyone sort of says like, you can't, you can't boil the ocean. You've got to pick one core demographic or psychographic. You can't, you can't have 18 messages. You have to have like one, you know, key thing. It's just, have you found anything that like you do in your brain that you applied, let's say, to Sunwink, where you're like, okay, this is my why, and then this is how I'm going to think about how I'm going to disseminate that and start actually putting that into, you know, action. Absolutely. I think in any in any business, whether it was Sunwink or Impossible or when I did work repositioning Equinox and launching the Equinox made me do it. You always, you do in some context work back from a clear vision point and why. And for Sunwink, you know, we would say, you know, we aspire to be this generation's vitamin water in the Mm -hmm. context of like functional plants truly are this generation's. And frankly, this generation, whether it's Z, millennial, X, boomer, deserve to have products that exist like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that 
in its in and of itself is a north star, but then also directionally points our company in ways that we have to think about everything from how we scale, how we position, how we build category, how yeah. we package, and it is it is deeply you know it, it's deeply important to sort of unlocking it. So I know it's sort of this old school way of thinking where you do have that call it positioning or vision unlock, but at any place that I've ever worked or any brand positioning that I've ever created, mm -hmm. even in the days when I was consulting or more on the agency side, it's such a critical North star um, right. for how you operate. And it's a critical North star, not only for how you as like, and now speaking as like a founder for how you can help make decisions, but also so much of our work is about mobilizing an organization and mobilizing mm -hmm. a team. Like marketing is a service position as much as it is a leading position. Right. But being in service of an organization means that you have to legitimately inspire an operations team as much as you like inspire a consumer to do X, Y, Z. And that's effectively like how you'll, you'll roll something out. Um, yeah. It's a very personal process, as you know, and then it's oftentimes when you're a founder, a very challenging process because yeah. you, it's really hard to, to not want to boil the ocean. That yeah. is a bit different though, than your question on like, how do the, how do I then position it to call it a range of consumers? Like, am I just for one tribe or am I for many? Like, those are the fun contours of like, call it communications planning that just effectively starts to disseminate that vision. Um, right. And that's, that's, that's what you helped me with because, you know, going back to sort of your path, you know, you were, you were doing marketing and then, you know, you went to brands like Equinox and, you know, Impossible and, you know, I mean, Equinox was a legacy brand that I think you, you refreshed to some extent, or at least, mm -hmm. you know, helped with that and Impossible you know, you were introducing something totally new into the world. I mean, it's such a big question, but, you know, where where did you begin? Like, where, where do you begin? Like, you have a whiteboard in front of you. You know, what's step one? Oh, step one of brand <laughs> positioning. Yeah. Is a, it, you know, typically, and this sounds so... Again, it goes back to some of those obscure old school tools we're taught. Mm -hmm. I, no matter what I do, I always start with the SWOT. It sounds, and I know no, it sounds this is great. so. It doesn't. So strength, weakness. Opportunities and threats. Opportunities and threats. I'll do it. Let's say if it's me or maybe I have a group of really smart brains that I've wrangled into a room really start it without the technicality of like, does this need to be quantified or qualified and again, freeing up the constraints of like, well, what if I can, or what if this is this way in the industry and just kind of looking at things from a clean slate to understand not only the business, like the culture at which you operate is also such an important way to evaluate things as much as it is within the context of like, what are the business capabilities that we have or, you know, right. what's standing in our way from a financing or no, is I the think competitive that's awesome. set. But you, you have to look at it all at once because oftentimes it's really easy to look at something and say, oh, I don't have enough money or I don't have enough resource or the space is competitive. In beverage, everyone tells, it's like every time someone Sharp tells elbows. me that beverage is yeah. competitive, I'm like, yes. <laughs> right. Thank Very you. Very aware. Thank you. Um, and that can oftentimes be without, like, again, not a threat in the ways that other people would evaluate it, but potentially to your advantage. And that right. really, it really, I always start there because it effectively builds the roadmap for what do I need to learn? Like, yeah. who are the stakeholders that I need to talk to? Obviously, I'm not just going to talk to, you know, my internal team, what industry experts exist. Yep what consumers do I think I have or mm -hmm. do I think I need? And then like, who do I just admire that's changing the way people do anything? Like mm -hmm. truly like bringing in folks that I like trying to talk to folks that are just 
a bit more, call it like the iconoclast that, that look at problems in a completely new way or have done yeah. something that breaks through that. That's usually how I, I start to like boil the ocean. And yeah. then I'm like, okay, like there's the technical stuff. Like what, you know, what's the wording or the pricing that's going to make sense for potentially this hypothesis of a consumer. And then you build right. like, you can build studies. And if you're a startup with mo no money, you build studies in a whole bunch of different ways. Impossible. I was fortunate enough to have a really healthy, big CPG level budget to work right. with for learning. That's not the case with, you know, we have to sort of pull it together on our no, own. But I love this. I mean, I actually like I ha I'm sitting in our new conference room and I have a whiteboard behind me and I am going to make a SWAT like not not this evening, but I'm going to do it tomorrow with my team. We haven't done it yet, which is kind of funny because I learned it so many years ago and it just it's something I've just never applied but I feel like, you know, I can already see like our, you know, our opportunities are almost the same as our threats, right? In a lot of ways, like, you know, we, for example, we can be, uh, we could be in dairy, we could be in produce, we can be in meat, we can be in deli, but that's also problematic sometimes because it's very easy for the dairy category review to be like, nah, you guys should go over to produce. Yeah. Um, and so, but, but even just breaking it down and then figuring out, okay, based on that, you know, kind so of there's then, one more, yeah. there's one more fun layer to do with once mm -hmm. you get to that point, which yes. is the, I call it the risks I'm willing to take and the risks I'm not willing to take exercise. Mm -hmm. And once you start looking at some of these things where you're going to see anytime, like, is the risk that I need to take, I need to say something really big. Do I need to, is it a marketing issue? Is mm -hmm. the risk, and marketing issue is not just consumer. When you're in a startup, your, your customers are your, effectively your capital. They are mm -hmm. your consumer. They are your retailer. Your retailer is just as important of a customer oh. as your customer is. And yeah. so I effectively start to look at it as like, like what are, because what are the risks that we need to take? And in any, and this is with any brand, you can be an established mm -hmm. brand or you can be a not. And it's typically I do it on sort of like call it the gut sense intuition. Mm -hmm. I always start there. It's funny because once I, there've been a few times when I've gone and validated that the, you know, the gut sense was like maybe only 60% of the way there, but more often than not, it usually. Um, so can, can you give me an example of like something, some, you know, a risk you had a gut sense you were willing to take and then what, what, what validated that? Yeah. So I can use, um, this is funny. We're like, really, we're just, I knew it. I knew we'd get like right into it. <laughs> we'd get I'm right into excited. it. Um, so I think let's, imp impossible is a fun one to use because I think it was such a successful launch that mm -hmm. galvanized this like it just galvanized an industry more mm -hmm. like, you know, we, it's, it's, it's funny to remember sort of back years ago when we were doing the early positioning work, sort of choosing the bets we were going to place. And we have, because you could have gone in a couple of different directions. We could have like, gone in so many different right, directions. We could have, right. so like, it's important to remember that at that point beyond had already been in the market for like six years. Mm. what impossible launch wow, like, that's so and we weird. often yeah and we often forget that they yeah. were actually selling out of the um, frozen aisle mm -hmm. and obviously doing some amazing work on their end to think through what are their big bets they were going to take knowing this sort of rise of everyone sort of saw the tide like the rise of fresh plant-based meat was coming mm -hmm. um so we you know we looked at we looked at the industry in the context of Everything that anyone had done to date had effectively relegated them to a part of the grocery store where people don't see the product as like meat mm -hmm, and that had mm -hmm. ended up in a frozen aisle. So it's almost like we knew the risks we had to take had to be so wildly different, like to the almost like nth degree extreme, whether that was 
not serving the vegan or vegetarian community whatsoever and frankly launching in some places where that option wasn't even available to the Mm -hmm. point at which like when we launched with umami for example the product wasn't vegan at all and we launched in la with no vegan options in like the market (laughs) we had a people actively protested us and we ended up trending on reddit for doing that however meat eaters came around it and were like this Mm -hmm. wasn't for you this is for us and that is a risk in and of itself not walking into the essentially looking at the pre-existing audience that's available to you and saying, mm-hmm. you know what, we're not, we're not going to create positioning or programming that's in service of you whatsoever. Right. And that like, that's a risk because you could easily walk into it. And, and you know, walking back from like total available market exercises, mm-hmm. like there mm-hmm. are easy to get markets and there are harder to get markets and the risk at which you take to go after that market puts your business sort of in this like momentary free fall where you're like, right. the revenue might not be guaranteed. Yep. 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 <laughs> and so you run at it. Um, that's one. The other one, it like, we looked at it that way. And then we also knew that we couldn't put the product in the hands of the consumer in the retail context too early. So mm-hmm. we could have taken that product to retail. And so much of like our go-to-market work in the marketing sense for Impossible was like, I had come from doing all this amazing big brand work. And this was right. like truly like, how do we like market from the guts of the entirety of this launch? Mm-hmm. And we knew that like, we just, again, going back to the retail thing, we couldn't put it in the hands of the customer because like it would put way too much like risk on the the sort of product presentation. And right. as you know, like you deal with home cooks, like, we're just destined to mess stuff up. Yeah. And like the last thing you want is to put this sort of novel product with a new mission in the hands of folks who haven't even been given right. any insight into like what it's capable of. Yep. So we took a big risk and like went food service first. Right. Um, it's interesting. I was, you know, I had Mike Messersmith from Oatly on here like two years ago. And, you know, we just, you know, obviously they were, you know, a 20 year brand in Europe, but he was largely responsible for their American launch and they didn't have retail for a good year. I mean, they really, they started in baristas, you know, they started in intelligentsia and at my place, which was really cool. Um, And then all of a sudden there was like the big Oatly, you know, run of summer 20, whatever, where there was like no product and people were offering like black market prices for like a thing of Oatly and everything. But I see your point in a way, um, you know, that was in retrospect, that was just like, well, of course that was so smart. That's where you start something to show that it can be like milk. Um, Yeah. But, you know, that was a choice that they made and there were plenty of them. And um, I guess it was, I I mean, I suppose it had its risks also. Um, But it is interesting to think about, you know, people getting impossible. And I mean, even, you know, we did a partnership with them. Well, we're doing a partnership with Impossible right now, which is really fun. We're actually on their like nugget tour with them as their sauce partner. Um, but we did one a couple years ago and it was like, how do you teach people what to do with it? You know, that beyond making a burger, which, you know, is always funny to me because I'm like, wow, we think we have, you know, the challenge of people not knowing what to do with our sauce. It really needs to be spelled out. You know, it is literally like for like in the case yep. of impossible. And yet people still didn't quite get that you could make a bolognese or you could, you know, make a lettuce wrap or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so I digress. But going back to the risks, um, you know, you had another one, I think, that was that was coming up. I can't even, I think I may have lost my train right. of okay. on the additional risk. But <laughs> yeah, we'll think, get back to it. <laughs> like, I think, again, it's just, it's, it, it's a way of, um, it's a w- helpful way of framing it. Also, when you start to look at risk of like, again, risk, I, risk that excites me and mm-hmm. risk that is either like against my value or how I see it, right. that framework really does help because oftentimes you'll let the fear of the unknown get in the way Yeah. versus like, am I really talking about my values or am I talking about like, eh, maybe don't know how to do that today, but can definitely 
plan and, you know, bring in the right team or right folks around the table to figure it out. And it's, it's, it's a really cool exercise to do because it takes, it takes the pressure off the, your ability to be creative and that. Yeah. And I, I think, I think it's like setting any sort of boundary, you know, early on another guest, I think it was Megan Bent. She said that, um, you know, she was basically like, you have to create sort of like your selling conditions. We will sell into an account if they take at least three SKUs. They do not charge slotting. They let us do X, Y, Z. And and those are our conditions. And you feel as a little company, you're just so lucky to get anything. You're lucky for anyone to call you. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I mean, there are some brands that are like, we're just, you know, telling retailers no left and right. I'm like, mm-hmm, okay. But, um, you know, putting putting sort of constraints around anything, I think, allows you, it takes a lot of the decision-making out of the process. And it takes a lot of the the argument in within the team out of the process too, right? Like if you got if you've established sort of, you know, pretty clearly what you are willing to do and what you're not willing to do, then these things come flying at you and you don't have to waste time you know, ferreting out all of the pros and cons of everything because people don't have exactly. the time to do that. Um, although as a founder, definitely sometimes I'm like, I know we said that we weren't going to do this, but like, you also have the right to be, yeah, not wrong, but fluid. Right. Yes. (laughs) And oftentimes the heart, I mean, that's the other thing with like being a founder, the difference is like the data you had yesterday could be very different than the data you have today. That's just the nature of building market. Like you're building a category. Yeah. Your data you have maybe 30 minutes ago might not be the same that you have. And it's not it to me, it's never, Oh, we're changing our minds. It's, it's a genuine evolution of information because we're fortunate. I mean, obviously, because we're operating as entrepreneurs, like we're not in a company where like change doesn't happen unless it's 24 or 36 months out. Right. That company is is built to service a completely different. (laughs) Yeah group of people, whether that's shareholders or large national retail accounts that are optimized for none of that. Right. Okay. So going back to Equinox Impossible, et cetera, et cetera. If you had to, I always think about like, if you were, if you wrote a little book and it was, you know, at the checkout counter, you know, at the bookstore, and it was like, these are the big takeaways from my marketing years. And it's just, you know, three bullets, basically. It's a very short book. Um, is there anything that kind of kept repeating itself that you were like, oh, this is a truth? A truth for success you know, or a truth? Yeah, just, yeah. I mean, every, okay, I've seen this rodeo before. I know that this is how it's going to play out. Or when I skip this step, something Mm. usually goes off. Or this is something that I know, you know, if you sit down, I mean, one of them is clearly you make a SWAT. Um, (laughs) But, you know, what kept coming up, I guess, is the question. I think one of them is if you're in the business of creating a category or creating I mean, category or like you're just creating a market that Mm -hmm. potentially didn't exist before, you know, the number one requirement is to, is to be bold, um, bold in the context of you should feel comfortable with saying things as a brand that probably make some people uncomfortable, but make a lot of people really excited. Okay. That's that's important from a marketing communication standpoint, because there are many of them. And that really, again, comes down to like working with call it like category definers or category game changers. Right. There's a whole pile of brands that are incredible that exist in the world that are effectively like a better option or another. Mm -hmm. And 
that sort of requirement of like, how bold do I need to be? Isn't the pressure isn't there as much, right? Yep. Because there's, 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 I talk about ease. this all the time, right? Yeah. You're a there's hummus, ease. you're a pretzel. Yep. Yeah. You're like, you know, and it's the same thing in the beverage category. Like there's, there are lots of folks who, who are amazing, like better options that don't necessarily need to like press on the definition of like, mm-hmm. look, we're trying to create, mm-hmm. we're trying to truly create a tonic category or truly trying to create a superfood ca- powder category. That's not like your plastic tub gen mm-hmm. sort of thing. And that naturally like that is bold. So you have to be bold. Yeah. That's, that makes sense. And that's a really important side of it. And again, it's back to like Equinox made me do it as a campaign was really bold. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was bold because it it galvanized a mission that was true, but it also like it created a bit of tension and like this is the kind of like space this is. This is yeah. not crunch fitness. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and people pretty clearly understood what you were. In the same right. way with like impossible, this is me. This is not that. In the same way with like, we look at Sunwing where we're, you know, we're not your average wellness brand. We're mm-hmm. a beverage brand rewriting the narrative for the masses. Like we just, we, you keep chipping away at it. That's the first thing is like, keep it, like, you're going to be bold. And then the next thing, and I tell this to my co-founder a lot, like you have to launch, launch, launch and launch again. Mm-hmm. You just, you, you never stop launching, whether that's like, the energy you put around a large retailer rollout should feel as yeah. big as the first time you launched Yeah, all the way through to a campaign. Like you sometimes, interestingly enough, when you're a startup, like a campaign is really important because it rallies the company around something energetically that has a statement. Um, yeah. And that's a launch or you put a new innovation out in the world and that's yeah. a launch and you just keep making space to move get, the organization yeah. forward, but get people to understand what you're doing. Yeah. And it's like, and that at Impossible, we launched, I I, I want to say we launched probably like 40 <laughs> different times with one product, like, right. you know, whether it was new markets or new this, new that, like you just keep yeah. chipping away at it. No, I think that's really smart too, because, you know, we were, we were talking this morning, you know, we're, we don't have a new sauce coming out until April, but we do have like all of our new merch, like all of our new sweatshirts and tote bags and, you know, hand, like hand towels with our new logo and everything on it. And we're making a really big deal out of it. <laughs> like, you know, in, I think in the past I would have been like, it's a tote bag. But for some reason, you know, we're like, we need, we just kind of need to keep, getting ourselves excited, I think, partly Mm -hmm. because so much of this is a slog dealing with distributors and, you know, distribution issues and supply chain stuff. And it's fun. Um, But also just, you know, I think, I think consumers love, they love exciting things. I mean, I, I've now just done my own little research, like my LinkedIn posts that are like thoughtful, you know, missives on the state of the state you know, they get some action. But when I'm like, we, we did this, you know, <laughs> it's like all of a sudden they're like 8,000 views and 80 yeah. comments, you know, I mean, people like good news too. Um, all right, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and we're going to get into the nitty gritty of a campaign because I still don't entirely understand it. We'll be right back. <laughs> awesome. Good food is worth a thousand words. This is Arthi Menon, and I'm delighted to share a new podcast with you. My Family Recipe from Food 52 and Heritage Radio Network. Adapted from Food 52's much-loved column of the same name, the My Family Recipe podcast will bring its pages to life. Each episode of My Family Recipe brings you a cherished heirloom recipe and the story behind it from voices across the world of food. We'd open these tubs of dough and they would exhaust these incredible yeasty fumes and it just smelled like nothing else. It was so intoxicating. I'll interview writers and chefs, parents and children about what's passed down along with the foods that we know and love. 
Chinese people aren't like born with a download on how to like velvet chicken. You know, like that's not something that just like comes to you. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. I'm back with Jordan Shank, CMO and co-founder of Sunwink. Um, okay. So I think before we get into the campaign stuff, let's talk a little bit about Sunwink. And I think, you know, we're totally different products. We're, you know, totally different everything. And yet we're both kind of trying to do the same thing. People think of sauce as, you know, jars of marinara in the shelf-stable section of their store. We are trying to redefine what that means. Uh, They think of it as different from a dressing and it's different from a marinade. And yet we're saying, actually, consumers have been using these things completely interchangeably for years. There's no reason not to position ourselves that way. That is challenging. Um, And people want to know, but wait, what are you exactly? Um, (laughs) And so I think about Sunwink and, you know, it's, it's a tonic, it's a, it's a, herbal, you know, delicious delicacy. It's a better for you soda. It's kind of a bunch of things. So how are you thinking about it? And, you know, what category, I guess, are you trying to create out of which categories you're currently kind of put into? Functional beverage, I would imagine. Yep. Um, So, I mean, the category that we've been building and have seen the shift really start within the past, you know, few years. I think we have a lot of really amazing, again, beverage is competitive, but it's, I call them complementers for the most part, as we're all effectively looking to chip away at the space of better for you ready to drink. Mm -hmm. Um, Really in the tonics realm, building out the tonic set, which is a almost the perfect love child that we wish we would have had between kombucha and juice mm-hmm. is sort of what what's going on there. And that you have these great efficacious low sugar options that don't taste like vinegar. Mm-hmm. Um, that pulls from a whole lot of things in that set by the nature of that set and the consumer, you know, people drink the product as a soda, they drink it as a mocktail, they drink it as a water plus up. And that's something that from a ubiquity standpoint, I'm okay with. Because if you think about some of your most successful beverage brands, achieving ubiquity is is great. Because if someone's drinking you in the morning and someone's drinking you in the evening and then someone's right. putting you in a mixed drink, yeah. as a beverage, you've, you've effectively hit a home run. You know, Coca-Cola right. calls it share of stomach and how <laughs> much can they capture share of stomach. And if you're truly able to create an occasion beverage right. that gets people going at a whole number of occasions, mm-hmm. like you're, you're onto something really unique in right. our category because our category is unique like that. You right. know, we um, used to talk about it at the brick and mortar in like day parts. And, yeah. you know, it was always interesting when you had, you know, we, I was just, I was, I was like, we we're paying rent. 24 hours a day. So Mm -hmm. for us to only have a coffee crowd and a nighttime cooking class, we're just, we're not getting the most out of our building. So we have to have a lunch and we have to have an after dinner and we have to have a midday. (laughs) So I get it. I mean, it's interesting. And, And in the sauce world, you know, we're very much like these things go great with eggs. They're great on your work from home lunch, mm-hmm. or you can throw them in your bag and bring them, you know, when you have your grain salad later in the afternoon, you know. Yeah. Um, but I like that share of stomach idea and the so, share of the day. Totally. And the way yeah. I think about it is because, so beverage rituals already exist, right? Like mm-hmm. you're probably sitting at your desk and I'm guessing guessing anyone listening has like three things three things that are like not water is depending on the time of day but you end up with like a coffee cup a midday like call it ready to drink maybe there's a plus up water maybe there's a matcha like it becomes a graveyard of like beverage on your desk and that's because like the ritual of like beverage consumption already exists Mm -hmm. for me I want 
all of our products, whether it's the powder or the tonic to be some, like, anytime you think about being thirsty, you're going to think about, oh, would this be a moment to integrate Sunwing? Like, right. More so as like the vehicle, like the means to the end of like, and then the plus up on that is like, oh, I'm feeling stressed. Is there a Sunwink that could work with mm-hmm. my coffee? Is there a Sunwink that might work in lieu of my soda? So I think there's, there's so much space to play in that. And so for us, it's less about, you have to just be like a post-workout thing. And mm-hmm. really about when I think about liquid, I think about that as a consumer, as an opportunity to add something efficacious to my moment. But that's um, harder, isn't it? So like, I, I like that. It right. I mean, I like that setup exactly because I know what a hydration powder does and I know when I want one and when I need it. Mm-hmm. And they know how to market to me and they know, you know, they know to put an athlete on the thing because they sweat and whatever. But <laughs> when you're trying to kind of be that ubiquitous, right? How do you, how, I mean, again, it goes back to that sort of question of like, you know, we were talking about just the channels within the channels and mm-hmm. the channel within the channels, right? Like these days, they're just, it feels like there's just so many and you're kind of expected to be everywhere. Yep. And yet the people that are in these different channels are completely different, A, and they're coming for different things. Um, so, you know, I mean, I guess the question is like, how do you make it feel less hard? And I guess that goes back to what you were talking about, which is, you know, communications planning, which is yep. really when I think of you, that's what I think of. So how do you plan? Yeah, you, when going to ubiquity, there's always, obviously, there's always the feeling of there's so much out there. In practice, you usually end up with, you know, call it three to five really distinct tribes, and that Mm -hmm. grows as you grow. I think you'll always launch really identifying sort of three you know, three types of adopters that are Mm -hmm. available to you. When you're a small startup, you look at them in the context of influence. So Mm -hmm. oftentimes, like, like for us at Sunwing, new moms expecting a mom's huge group for us, hugely influential, and also post birth will stay with us. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a special group that you'll build there and you start to essentially like stress test these folks Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. you end up finding sort of within this like call it as you build to ubiquity who starts to create the chain of of influence if i look at that with impossible for us that was like celebrity chefs high-end burger chain and then people who effectively were in like music and culture and hip-hop and we Mm -hmm. went super hard on all of that and they built out that chain of influence from there um which again which you can afford when you're impossible which you can you can afford that for us it's like really more bottoms up of like again who out there has whether it's the influence in social or the influence um that cascades down to, you know, the a wonderful 48-year-old woman who may not be coastally bound, but definitely is interested and can afford your product. Like, mm-hmm. where does she pay attention? So I always look at it as the waterfall. And that allows you to then spend 12 months going really deep with a group of folks, right. call it like, who are, frankly, who have, who could be very distinct, but a bit similar. I think... Right. What's really interesting about better for you products is you will always meet them from a mindset standpoint, meaning like they are looking like they are seeking better or healthier or cleaner or fresher. Mm -hmm. You don't have to make that mindset for them. That's always going to be your through line. Um, And then you can just, again, build like different use cases and and work from from there. So that's how we've. We started to it. I think this, the tricky thing for for us was like the as like you know we just launched when the pandemic hit, mm-hmm. 
Um, and so some of that more like mobilization of, you know, communities is like really just starting now, which is some exciting work that, that we have deploying. Um, which again, the question there is like, do I, maybe if this part of the business, whether it's like, call it like stoking the flame with certain groups isn't going as quick, do I need to like pop off a different type of campaign and generate right. energy and news and galvanize what it is that we're doing in a different so, way, which is sort of what we did. So let's let's get like nitty gritty about campaigns. So yep. how how would you define a campaign? <laughs> there is so I think well so back to remember how you were asking me the question about the the book like my yeah, my, yep. my book okay there's a third there's okay. a third and final page which will help yes. move us into this which is um, everyone is your consumer. And you need to know them, whether they are a consumer in the sort of traditional defined sense of like this person walks into a grocery store. And like I had said, they could also be your retail buyer. That is a consumer, potential investors. And then the count, call it the industry thought leaders and business folks that you're going to need to know as your business grows mm-hmm. are also your consumers. And you yeah. have to map your planning for all of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the other layer of that, you have to give them equitable attention because you would do that exact thing for, you know, someone who messaged you on customer service, right? Yeah. And so going into then, how do we think about a campaign? A campaign can effectively be a part of any one of those. You can have a campaign that runs, whether it's like thought leadership or press driven or how you had mentioned you do these wonderful LinkedIn posts, which you do, or you do this amazing podcast, like that is effectively in many ways, whether you've realized it or not, a campaign you've been running to draw attention from, from that group. That is a campaign. That's, so it's not, (laughs) it's not (laughs) cool (laughs) because you've done it with the intention of, you know, creating momentum within a certain audience and you've done it in such a beautifully high touch way, right? That's really, that's a really important thing to think that like you've already been doing that work. Okay. But again, it goes back to like, so thinking about your buyers in the same way that you would, you know, work with your influencers or, or consumers, you know, we run really special like white glove programs where we're not only providing our buyers with like floral bouquets or herbal bouquets when we can get them in so they can see the ingredients in the product. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're giving them the swag. We also run like targeted LinkedIn posts to stay top of mind, running press um, pieces that are business specific. Like we're running a, an influence campaign in, in that realm at right. all times. Yeah. I've actually um, noticed that about the press stuff because there is, there's a lot of stories and they're like, just about what you're doing. You know, we, I feel like so often we're like, oh, this isn't really news. It's, there's nothing really new here, but you are really good at creating. I think what you said, launch, 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 launch again. You're good at creating news out of just keeping going to some extent. Right. Which is great. We, We launched, I mean, during the pandemic, we got this great business insider piece. We sat down as a, as a leadership team and just made a list of how we wanted to tackle and think about stabilizing the business. It was, and what we did, I was like, well, this is really, I was like, I feel like other entrepreneurs need to know Mm -hmm. this list is really helpful. So then we pitched it to business insider and they ended up like publishing the sort of list for early stage companies. And are you thinking about this? And like, Again, like it's because we're running this quote unquote campaign. It's an always on campaign. That's right. objective is to really con- like continue to stoke that narrative within this demographic. So there can be always on campaigns. I mean, because I, I always think of a campaign as like, okay, we have, you know, for example, we have a new sauce coming out nationally with Whole Foods in April. And it's very exciting and it's very innovative and it's very cool and it's time to start thinking about it. And, you know, the way that we kind of rolled out with our other new sauces was, you know, we basically went like, 
what does our email look like? How do we start talking about it on social? You know, obviously there's the in-store, you know, promotion and merchandising and all that. But is it, do you just sort of, do you say, here's the thing and then here are all the places where we need this to 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 be? And, you know, I guess, again, going back to the whiteboard, like if what you, you were me- yeah. yeah. What do you, you know, we have this great new sauce coming out in April. Go. <laughs> well, so I, because I was a, a planner in the like advertising marketing sense by trade, like I, I mean, like the, the blessing and the curse of me is that like, I've <laughs> like, I am trained to do this, but I right. would always say like, you know, I work it back from, again, it's, it's no different to where the same exercise I told you where it's like, you have the positioning for the company. Mm-hmm. Now you need to do this exact thing for the audience. And then the objective internally is to always work towards creating something that is either unlike anything your organization has ever done mm-hmm. or like, again, pushing against it. And the only way you know that is if you almost like, you have to like almost repetitively swat everything. It's the, right. it is like, it's a planner's, it is like the planner's like hammer and nail is this way of thinking about it. But for example, if I'm launching a new product, I go out and even if I don't have the resource, I fake, I fake the resource enough with like information I can find to really understand like, the landscape, what's mm-hmm. going on with the consumer, like what's going to break it through, build that positioning line out and then put the programming in place to hit it. Like, and it's the same thing we would do with like a retail buyer. Like, how do you stand out in that context? How do you create relationships? Ask yourself those same questions. Like what are my competitors maybe doing? Right. Um, and then you just build programming that your team can operate on. And, you know, we, we run like an OKR where we're checking in on like, did we fulfill this many? I'm just using the bouquet as an example, or did we run the right. ad or did we? Um, and OKR and is way, one key, one key, what's the R? I never know what the R is. Someone asked me that. It's <laughs> objectives, key, KPIs and responsibilities. Right. Okay responsibilities meaning like who owns it um, right because there's like a whole sort of like business jargon of like don't do kpis do okrs and i'm kind of like isn't it just you know did still, you do this and did it end up doing that you know i understand the it's difference still the between same like, thing. Yeah, we just right. we essentially have like a dashboard that's like objective tactic kpi budget timeline who owns it and right. we just we look at every little thing and we you know we while there may not be a hard metric of like did it create this 20% lift? Like we can still look at it and be like, were we able to like pull it off and then did it do anything? All right. Can you rewind a little bit? Because I think this is actually, this leads to my next question, which is like, you know, I, I, I have a hunch that most of the people that are listening are not leading multi, you know, hundred million dollar brands. Although a couple people do, which I find really interesting. But for the most part, it's people sort of in our position or a little earlier, or maybe, you know, one step or whatever. So they don't have a you on the team and marketing tends to be generally, you know, a lot of the brands, I think, the founder ends up being sort of like leader in marketing, unless they come from a finance or an ops background, in which case that is one of their early hires. Mm -hmm. But I think marketing doesn't is, you know, sales and ops tend to be sort of like the beginning. Um, So you have sort of everyone hacking marketing together to some extent off and on, you know, in the early stages. So to give us a framework you would basically say, okay, everything that we're doing, there's an objective, which would be get to a thousand TikTok followers. Yeah. Or would that be the, yes? Or is it broader than that? Uh, It depends on like, so I would say. Or is the objective like awareness on TikTok? And then, you know, the objective would be like probably mobilize or make X 
group aware okay, of us. Okay, got it. So get to Gen Z. Right? Yeah. Tactic would be... I like doing it. Can you tell that I'm a concrete thinker? Yeah. Tactic <laughs> would be um, deploy TikTok. Another tactic could be deploy Gen Z affiliate program. Mm-hmm. Another TikTok or another TikTok. Another tactic. <laughs> another tactic. Yeah. Hopefully there isn't another TikTok yet. Um, <laughs> another tactic could be target Gen Z trade. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the, each tactic would then effectively have some form of measurement behind it. Okay, right. Um, is how I look at it. You can obviously say the bigger objective could be penetrate Gen Z by blah, 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 percent. Mm -hmm. There's no way as a startup we're ever going to do that because we don't have like the money to measure whole, like we don't also, it doesn't make any sense to spend on like measuring whole percentage penetration. Right. Because that's just $15,000 that you could have put towards actually deploying a tactic. Right. (laughs) So objective, tactic, measurement, and then is there... But I mean... There's the budget that you assign to each of mm-hmm. them, if, and it's to each tactic. Mm-hmm. And then um, I'm really big on this is my, and this is me as a founder, but always me as a operating marketer. I am such a believer in accountability in that. Yeah, like, who owns it? Who yeah. owns it? Who's got it? Um, it's such a critical part of any of this happening. Yep. Yeah. Um, which also going back to your earlier question, like sometimes you just don't have the folks or the resource to, to boil the ocean. So it yep. becomes abundantly clear what you can do really quick. Yeah. Which is often usually what you needed to do in the first place, but it just helped you that like no resource forced you into it. Right. No, that's awesome. Um, no, I mean, this has been incredibly helpful. I, I do want to ask you actually a question about Sunwink because I've been sort of interviewing you as a marketing expert, as, not as a founder um, for the most part, because, you know, some founders have their own stories to tell, but you happen to have, you know, a lot of really expert advice on top of that. But I do want to ask you about innovation because you did launch your superfood powders mm-hmm. um, and there there must have been, you know, I, I don't know if that was in sort of the original pipeline or if that was just something that you learned that your consumer really wanted something so that they could just put it in their smoothies and drinks or wherever they wanted to, whenever they wanted to. But how do you think about innovation? And I guess, you know, the real question is like, you know, do you think of it as a, as a part, you know, is it, is it a separate thing or are you kind of always thinking about it? And it, are you, are you listening for signals, I guess is the question. Yeah. So when we, when we thought about innovation for this product, we looked at it in the context, not only of all our original mission and vision was to always create a beverage platform, which we believe could be in ready to drink and in dry, because we know that the behavior of people consuming dry has wildly changed in the past, even, you know, 36 months. Mm-hmm. If I mean, and I'm sure you, you and I have both seen it with just how, yeah. and pandemic obviously accelerated it. Um, that was always in the, the plan as far as like, we knew that as going back to my original comment of like there's four things on your desk Mm -hmm. what do you do um we knew that we wanted to be a part of all four of those moments which meant at times like it wouldn't just be a ready to drink grab Mm -hmm, and go mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that was natural what happens during the uh pandemic we I mean we took our business online I think when I talked to you I was like oh we're just getting online right (laughs) and you and I were like woo (laughs) trying to trying to like wade through that yeah Um, but we quickly found within like that six month time frame um not only did we see a whole bunch of different ways that people were like using the tonic whether that was like mocktail mixer smoothie water 
mm-hmm. you know, like the mm-hmm. creativity was wild just outside of drinking it. We started getting people who are like messaging like, oh, like, what would happen if you just took the water out of this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like, could you make a product that like, I could like, I could then mix stuff in or if mm-hmm. I wanted to add more sweet or like da da da, that became a common bit of outreach. So we started to hear our customer looking for it. Um, Which is also cool because it's lightweight and it's not, you know, I mean, it's the better bottles for and it's yeah, better the for the environment too, yeah. right? Like it's kind of everything. So, so that felt like a natural layup kind of. Totally. And then we just looked at the category and we were like, okay, you know, we kind of definitely caught some people's attention with how we package the the tonic. And that's been mm-hmm. something that has been super well received. What would what would we then do if we brought this over? Right. How do we make it different? And in the same way, like we then applied, we were like, okay, well, it has to be fully recyclable, which no one is doing fully Mm -hmm. down to the desiccant impacts, like no crazy plastic, weird desiccant. Like we use a, like a little cool piece of like, it's a new innovation, which are these like little cardboards that can act as that. So they're fully recyclable. We knew we wanted it to be fully recyclable because we were building out like knowing that within this set, like there's folks that are going to be coming off the shelf as like customer mm-hmm. demands change. We knew yeah. also that the biggest complaints we saw on Amazon and online and from people was that they didn't like the mixes of the stevias, the monk fruits, the mm-hmm, sweetened mm-hmm. things. They wanted the opportunity to be able to do it on their own. At their because, own. Yep. Um, so we knew we had to formulate that way, which was great. And which is just, great too. Cause then, yeah. you, you know, I love it. You, you, Leave it we up just to worked them. it. We effectively worked it back from like where we knew the industry was heading with their expectations on recyclability, where we saw the feedback back happening across like the open research platform, which is Amazon. <laughs> like truly, right. like it is an open platform of learning for any brand looking to innovate, um, right. because you have millions of data points. And then yep. we just, you know, we pulled the trigger on it. It. I can't say the exciting stuff we have coming on the horizon, but it has like, will have well exceeded our expectations in its, even before it's 12 months of existence to wow, becoming amazing. a massive multi-million dollar business, which is it's, amazing. It's, it's, it's like, <laughs> it's wild, you know, but again, yeah. it goes back to like, not to bring it all back. It was that same positioning. It was that same SWAT. It was faking it, faking the research until you can get it. Understanding the customers being not only the end user, but the retailer, the investor, everyone had to be a part of what it means to, to bring something like that into the world. And that every point of that was considered, which, which just created so much speed behind that product. Yeah. And I think it's also, I mean, we're going to wrap up, but I think it's very, it's a really optimistic, nice way to end the show in the sense that a lot of times what you are all building right now, I'm speaking to those of you listening, like it might not be the thing you know, like I remember, you know, what Four Sigmatic started as like a mushroom tea, right? In like a, in a tea bag, um, yep. as I recall. Like you will, you got to get something out into the world, do it smart, you know, don't just, don't just do it, do it smart. But then, you know, inevitably you're going to learn from your consumers and from the customers at the store level. And all of a sudden the product that you end up like really hitting, you know, the flywheel with might not be the product that you have right now, which is just a really fun way to think about it. Like you don't know where the journey is going to take you, you know, but if you if you listen and you do your research, um, and I think to your point, Jordan, you, you bring everyone in, you know, having a, having a North star, but also bringing everyone in, um, you, you know, you end up with something like you didn't even know to think about. At, you know, at the time, which is we um, actually had a strong hypothesis, right? But, <laughs> but we didn't have the we didn't have the 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 sort of like the guts yet. Like it right. wasn't there. Like you didn't validate the willingness to take a risk, right? Quite yet. Amazing. All right, yeah. Jordan. I like I could 
I feel like I could ask you a gazillion more questions, but I mean, between the SWAT and the North Star, and I'm already thinking about our brand launch in March, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm very excited. Um, <laughs> and that's how I felt the last time we talked. And so I really can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Of Everyone listening, you can find Sunwink at sunwink.com. It's really worth just, um, they're beautiful. All, everything you guys make is, is beautiful. Um, and Armin, um, thank you for engineering as always. And everyone listening, um, again, always appreciate the messages and the suggestions and the questions and, of course, the reviews. Um, so um, I'll be back next week uh, with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.